Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. During our episodes, we often quote research when discussing topics. We believe it's vital that we share evidence-based information as well as our own personal views. So today our topic is running nutrition, what is the research saying? We thought we'd explain a little bit more about the different research papers we access, the scientists we follow, and why we trust their views. So join us to find out a bit more about the science behind our topics. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionists, friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance. And especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalised sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. everyone welcome back i'm aileen i'm here with karen as always although uh, karen's in a different location today and she'll tell you about that in a minute um so we're going to be talking about running nutrition what is the research saying but before we get into that um karen as usual we'll share something personal about our nutritional running uh so i know you're going to share where you are today um but also um the question that i've got for you today karen is that i know that you tend to run really long distances so I'm wondering when you're out on the road what are you listening to um are you listening to music or podcasts or TED talks or just silence so I'm just interested to know what you do when you're out on your long runs yeah absolutely Aileen but before I answer that um hi everybody and I just wanted to let you know as Aileen said I'm um I'm in a different location. I'm currently in Spain. And I just wanted to say that the area that I'm in um, causes Wi-Fi to be a little bit more inefficient besides what I'm used to. So I just wanted to say that the quality of this recording may be a little compromised. So I just want to apologize to everybody in advance. If you do notice any glitches in this recording, that it's potentially my Wi-Fi that is causing it. So, So sorry about that. But then, Aileen, moving on to um, answer your question about do I listen to anything when I'm running? Well, actually, yes, I do. Um, Historically, actually, I used to listen to music 
And my favorites tended to be the likes of Bruce Springsteen, some Bon Jovi, and also a little bit of Mamma Mia music as well. And I, and I loved the, all of them, actually, because I find them really inspiring. They were fun. They were jolly. And that really kept me going on my really long runs. But now I have to say I tend to take the opportunity um, to listen to podcasts because time is, is limited when I'm not, not running so to be able to do that. So I use the time productively and listen to the podcasts that I like and the ones that I um really like tend to be linked to running and health as you can imagine and I enjoy the likes of Dr Ranjan Chatterjee which I'm sure everybody's heard of and he's got a podcast called Feel Better Live More and that's a really interesting podcast. The British Journal of Sports Medicine also have their own podcast and that I get a lot of good information about um, sports medicine clearly running um, information and also it brings in some nutrition there as well. And I also like another one called um, Health, Nutrition, Functional Medicine. And I like that one especially because it you, it's, it's sort of looking at um, health from um, the functional medicine approach, which is the approach that Aileen and I follow. And finally, I also listen to us. So uh, each week I'll listen to our episode um, just to check in and see how it sounds for you guys. Um, and also to see if there are any um, glitches that I notice or upgrades that we could be making or any sort of improvement. So that's what I do when I'm on my long runs, Aileen. But how about you? Do you listen to anything at all whilst you're out running? Yeah, I do. You sound like you're very busy and multitasking when you do all of this, Karen. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I do. I mean, I, I really like listening to music. Uh, I mean, do, I sometimes uh, I've been trying to practice running without music, um, too, uh, and I'm getting better at doing that. But um, I have a few different playlists and um, and sometimes even mistakenly just put on a shuffle and I'm always surprised at what comes up um, it can be quite amusing so um recently I was out running and I was I found myself listening to the Nutcracker Ballet um which was really nice I really enjoyed that but I was quite surprised by it and I thought oh maybe this is something new running to classical music maybe this isn't the new way um but usually I'm looking for something that's gonna help me increase my pace or just get me through the type the zones that sometimes uh, you hit um so a bit of upbeat music usually does the trick um with regards to podcasts like you uh, i'm avidly wait every thursday morning to listen to our podcast episode and uh, just check that they're okay and a uh, bit of quality control there um I tend to listen to podcasts more when i'm out walking mostly because i find i slow down i, I you know, particularly people like uh, Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, you know, he, he's really long. And, and so I find myself like really intently listening to some of the things that the conversation's about. And so it's not really conducive to running for me, to be honest. Um, but a couple of uh, running related podcasts that I, I like, which are quite entertaining, I think. Um, one that I found in recent months is Women's Running Podcast, and that's with Esther Newman. And um, she has a co-host. Um, they're 
you know, they chat away and they're very entertaining and amusing. And often she has guests too. Um, and the other thing that I like about their podcast is that they also intersperse their interviews with um, some training. So they'll, they'll actually talk you through some run training plans, which I find quite helpful. Um, and then my other one that I dip in and out of from time to time is Run Pod with Jenny Falconer. Um, again, she's got lots of guests. Sometimes they're celebrity athletes. Sometimes they're celebrity, just celebrities who happen to run. And uh, so that's always interesting too, because everybody's got their own little stories to tell. So yeah, lots of things to listen to, Karen. Um, okay. I was just going to say, Aileen, I love the idea of Tchaikovsky's Nutcracker Ballet. You know, I can imagine you bouncing along as you're listening to Tchaikovsky. It did make me laugh, actually. I was thinking, nobody knows this is what's in my ears. It's quite amusing. It just made you want to dance yeah. a bit like a ballerina, <laughs> which um, you know, is not to be done outside, I don't think. <laughs> anyway... No. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> so um, what we're talking about today is um, really it's about research. So the title of the episode is Running Nutrition. What is the research saying? Um, and the reason that we've chosen this topic today is that we often quote research when we're discussing topics during the episodes. And that's because we believe it's vital to share evidence-based information uh, alongside our personal views. Um so today we thought we'd tell you a little bit more about the different types of research papers that we access, that the scientists we follow, because we, we both love scientists, uh, and also why we trust their views. Um, so we're going to outline the different types of research sources available. Uh, we're going to give you an understanding of the purpose of the different types of research and also discuss some study papers that we access and, and trust. So um it's sort of a, an interesting area and hopefully it'll just give everybody some insights into uh, where we get all this information from. So, Karen, let's get started. Um, so, shall we start by outlining the various styles of research papers that, that, that are available that we use? Yes, absolutely, Aileen. I think that there are probably four principal ones that we tend to use, which are split into primary research, position stands, joint position statements and consensus statements. And just sort of saying a little bit more about each of those, the so primary research really is um, solely carried out to address a certain problem. And this is a certain problem which requires in-depth analysis and, and, and sort of its research that is really pinpointed so it's carried out only on a specific issue or problem and all the focus is directed to obtain sort of solutions relating to that problem. So, for example, one that you've maybe heard us speak about or runners might have read about themselves is about mouth rinsing with carbohydrate and its potential impact on sports performance. So that is a really specific piece of research there. And then sort of thinking about position stands. So they tend to be sort of official documents and they're developed using specified uh, sort of evidence-based methodology and it's looking at significant societal issues that really merit interdisciplinary consideration and consensus. So for example here the ISSN so the International Society of Sports Nutrition they have a position stand looking at caffeine 
and performance. So they're looking at a specific area and um, sort of giving their consensus and consideration on it. And then joint position statements. Well, they're similar to um, a joint position statement uh, or they're, sorry, they're similar to position stands, but they're developed in conjunction with at least one other non-for-profit organisation or it could be a government agency. So here, for example, I'm thinking of um, the prevention, diagnosis and treatment of overtraining syndrome. Now, there was a joint consensus statement on this issue um, from the European College of Sports Science, which is the ECSS, and the American College of Sports Medicine, so the ACSM that I was speaking about in the introduction, Aileen. And then finally, the other one that I think we use quite a bit is our consensus statements. Now, these are documents developed by an independent panel of experts experts that usually are multidisciplinary and they're brought together to review the research literature for the purpose of advancing the understanding of an issue and also the procedure or maybe the method um, of, of an issue of a situation. Um, and, and an example here would be um, uh, one that came out by the IOC, so the International Olympic Committee. Um, now, they had a consensus statement around, uh, well, it was titled Beyond the Female Athlete Triad, Relative Energy Deficiency in Sports, so Red S. Now, that is one that we use um, quite a bit because Red S is, is relatively new, um, but a developing um area of research and and this consensus statement I think was it was almost um, pivotal in in leading to change in the sports world for females and males actually so so there are lots of other research styles I have to say however I would say that these are the ones that we most commonly use would you would you agree with that Aileen Absolutely, Karen, and um, it's really great that you've taken time just to explain um, how these uh, different sources of information come together, and I think it helps us understand the credibility of the information as well. Um, one, one other that I would add is um, we often um, quote um, things like reviews, and I'm thinking particularly of systematic reviews or the Cochrane reviews and meta-analysis, so they, they're carried out in an effort to ensure decisions about health and healthcare are informed by high quality, relevant and up-to-date research evidence. So what they, these bodies do is they collate all the recent and relevant papers on a subject uh, and they review them and decide if there's on balance sufficient evidence to suggest that the research outcomes could support health and healthcare. And I think you know, often, I, I don't know if you find this, Karen, I often come across reviews because sometimes we're looking for a piece of research to back up something and we can't quite find the right type of study. But often there's a review on the subject and it's pulling together lots and lots of different information. And it, it sort of gives us an opportunity to tell our listeners about the pros and cons of a situation because nothing's ever totally clear cut, is it? 
Absolutely. Yeah, I think they're, they are a really good uh, secondary form of um, of research. Yeah, yeah. And like you mm. say, it's a good point, Aileen. It is another style that we use quite a lot. Okay, so we've um, we've given a bit of an overview of the different types of research papers and uh, hinted at their purposes. So let's go a little bit deeper now, Karen. Um, so let's think about the primary research. So just as an overview, um, all the research methods, whether they're traditional or modern, tend to fall into one of two categories. So they're either primary research or secondary research. So the, the primary research is information gathered through self-conducted research methods, and we've already mentioned those, um, whilst the secondary research is gathered from previously conducted studies. Um, so that's the, that's where the two different uh, types of research fit. Exactly. And like I was saying earlier, that the likes of the, the reviews and the consensus statements and things tend to sort of fall into the, the secondary research but they'll, they'll lead you towards the primary research as well, which is really helpful. Um, and I think that we do tend to read a great deal of primary papers, but when it comes to actually the podcast episodes, we will um, often quote or reference the likes of the position stands and the joint position statements. Um, and like I said, they tend to be classed as the secondary research. Now, their purpose, um, so of thinking about it a little bit more deeply, Aileen, their purpose is to serve as a sort of really authoritative and influential evidence-based statements on topics of relevance to those working in whatever ever field the statement is supporting. So, for example, for us, it would be um, sort of them looking into the field of exercise science and sports medicine, and the position stands and joint statements we tend to source come from some really highly regarded and well-respected organisations, including the ACSM, which I mentioned already, the American College of Sports, of Sports Medicine, the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, the ISSN, International Society of Sports Nutrition. These are all tongue twisters. The AIS, which is the um, Australian Institute of Sport, and the ECSS, which is the European College of Sports Science. So there's some really good organisations there and well-respected organisations that we source our information from. Yeah, and I think people might even recognize some of these acronyms because yeah. we do use them quite a lot. Um, so the, the consensus statements... Uh, tend to be similar. So their purpose is to provide clinicians, practitioners and scientists with guidance on a subject for which there is a, a maybe a lack of comprehensive evidence um, that could have otherwise led to a more definitive statement being made. And I, I think, you know, in sports nutrition, it's definitely a field where clinician guidance is required because the quality of the research is still limited, although it's growing. And the, the size, the number of participants in the studies is small. I mean, often we're coming across, you know, very small studies with, you know, one or just a few um, participants. Um, and, uh, and that can make it difficult, really, to turn the theoretical thinking into 
practical applications. And, and sometimes when we're reading these and quoting them, we're, we're referencing them as case studies almost. Um, mm-hmm. So, and then finally, just you know, thinking about the the systematic. Um, Cochrane style reviews and the meta analysis, I think it's really important to that the decisions are all about the use of an intervention or the validity of a hypothesis and making sure it's not based on one single study. Because it's very easy to get excited about reading one thing and thinking, oh, yeah, this sounds great. But then if you spend a little bit more time on it, you sometimes find a counter argument and that can make you question whether the the original suggestion is is correct um and and that's because really results typically vary from one study to the next um, and maybe it's the, the style of the study that can uh, have an influence um so the the review and the meta-analysis styles what they do is they collate the data across many studies they use very um objective formulas to help establish whether the conclusions from them a fit really to be translated into practical applications. Um, so that that's sort of a, a big overview. Um, and Karen, I, I just wondered if you had anything to say about the, the female angle. Are there any female factors that we need to consider regarding the research that we're um, studying? Yeah, actually, Eileen, I think there is one that's really important um, that needs to be taken into consideration here. And I think it's one that we have mentioned in a previous episode as well. And basically, and, and I think this has been acknowledged in the world of research, there is currently a real lack of sports science and sports medicine research conducted on Uh, female athletes. There are a few out there, I have to say, but they are really limited and that's making it challenging to develop an evidence-informed approach to clinical practice specifically for women. So applying the evidence developed in male athletes to female athletes is thought to be a concern. And this is due to really the fact that there are biological differences between um, Males and females, for example, the fluctuations in hormone concentrations at different stages of the menstrual cycle, um, and that is thought to influence um, performance. Um, But also the fact that females have different biomechanical profiles in comparison to male athletes as well. So so it, it is thought that these factors... Uh, may partially account for the la- for for some lack of effectiveness of the different interventions when applying findings from the research that have been conducted on male athletes only. Now, this um, is is has been found in the elite sports world anyway. How how it then reflects in the amateur world, it's difficult to say. But still. Females are, are females and males are males, whether it's in the, the elite f- field of sport or the amateur field of sport. So, and I think, like I was saying, re- researchers are recognizing that, um, that there, there is, there are clearly differences and that it's due to the fluctuations in hormones potentially during the, the menstrual um, cycle. Um, and, and they're sort of really realising now that female athletes may require different performance, nutritional recovery and injury prevention strategies, 
besides male athletes. And and I have to say that there are some research out there that are trying to address this situation. So watch the space. Maybe in time there will be much more female-specific research that we will be able to access and utilise um, in our in our podcast and other other platforms that um, that you you can all find us and also when working with our clients so yeah and I think you know as you said Karen there's a there is a real there's more women are involved in sport and exercise you know in an amateur capacity and, and I think that the in the in a sort of an elite capacity women's sport is giving is just being paid more attention so I'm sure you know it will come in the next sort of 10 or 20 years there'll be a lot more research uh, but currently that means you know in the current situation we just have to utilize the research available to us um, but I think because we use a functional medicine approach to health and the, the way we care for our clients is that we're always taking into consideration um, individuality and and then from that, you, you have to adapt the current research outcomes to suit our personal client circumstances. And I think it's the personalized approach that might help limit some of these discrepancies in the current guidelines for sports nutrition. Um, you know, because, you know, we, all, we always reference that, don't we, when we're talking about you know, you can't just, we, we don't live in a test tube. So it's difficult to, to apply everything on a, on a research paper to, you know, real life. Um, but I'm, I'm sure that more female specific guidelines would be welcome to everyone. So I think, as you said, Karen, let's watch this space. Yes, absolutely. And hopefully changes of food. Uh, but just to sort of summarise before we move on, nearly to summarise what we've spoken about already, we've sort of established that the primary research is the most time-consuming and expensive form of research. Um, and what it does is it aims to answer questions about a topic that um, has not yet been answered. And then other forms of research, including the position stands and the position statements, they aim to give evidence-based guidelines, really, to professionals in a certain field of work. So, for example, the sport and um, exercise nutrition. Um, whilst reviews and meta-analyses, uh, they tend to collate data from across lots of different studies to really help establish whether the conclusions from them can be translated into practical applications for the clinicians. Okay, Aileen, so we'll move on. Um, but just before we do that, shall we Shall we just take a, a quick advert break? Yeah, sure. So this is the moment in the episode where Karen and I take a, a minute just to uh, tell you a little bit about the work that we do outside of the podcast. Um, so one of the things that we, we like to share is our Easy Nutrition for Healthy Runners online program. And that all came about because Karen and I uh, find that we're just like you, we're busy working women, we run for fitness, health, achievement, and a bit of fun along the way, especially with my nutcracker music. Um, but even as, as nutritional therapists, we've had our own personal running struggles um, and continue to do so. But we resolve those struggles with having a foundational everyday eating plan. And we fine tune um, that everyday eating plan with sports nutritional principles. And that helps us maximize our running performance and minimize injury. Um, so what we, we did a couple of years ago is we pulled all our information 
and expertise together and created the Easy Nutrition for Healthy Runners online program. So it's a short and sweet uh, video program. Uh, You can complete it in 30 minutes a day over two weeks, or indeed you can spread it over a longer period of time if you need to. So if you've been um, thinking um, about your own uh, personal situation today and you'd like to know more about how to apply both everyday nutrition alongside sports-specific nutrition, uh, we, we think this program is a really ideal place to start um, because we give you um, lots of quick, easy, accessible information and alongside some easy action steps too. So if you're interested in the program, check out our website, which is runnershealthhub.com. Uh, look up at the top menu bar, uh, find the online program and uh, check out the, everything that's there for you. If you've got any questions, do email us email us at hello at runnershealthhub.com and also just to say thank you to you as one of our valued listeners if you'd like to purchase the program we do have a special offer for you if you use a coupon code pod which is pod you'll get a 33 percent discount off the full price which brings the price down to 199 pounds um, so that's a really great offer, and we hope that you'll enjoy that offer. Um, you'll find details in the show notes too. So if if later on you're thinking, what was that coupon code? Look on the show notes, and you'll you'll find them there. Great, thanks, Aileen. Okay, so now let's move on and think about some key study papers and the scientists involved in the development that we tend to access and ones that we trust as well. So thinking about the scientists first, there are a few that we follow and trust, and um, some of them are Louise Burke and Asko Jürgendrup, and we do tend to speak of that, speak about them quite a lot on the podcast. But there's also Michael Gleason. Ron Mon, Kevin Tipton, John Hawley, Graham Close, and I could just keep going. There are so many that um, that we follow and trust and um, read all their primary research. Um, and, and, you know, there are many more, like I say, that, that are also really knowledgeable in their own field of work. Um, We also trust the reviews and position standing statements from um, various bodies, including the ones that we mentioned above, so the before, so the ISSN, the IOC, and the AIS. Um, Paper um, that we've we've used a bit was, um, it's a position stand published by the ISSN on nutrition for ultra running. Now, this was a really valuable paper for us um, to utilize in our work, because there is so little reliable and evidence-based information available on nutrition for distances beyond um, marathon running. So when I found this paper, I grabbed it, um, because it is really valuable and gives some, some great evidence-based information and uh, you know it's it's really served as a as a useful guideline um in in sort of nutrition for ultra running when we've been prepping for the podcast episodes but also again when working with our clients and also working on our other platforms so um, so that was a really pivotal paper for us yeah, and we, we do tend to use the position stand and joint position statement research papers quite often, fairly regularly, because they're, they're published regularly and therefore the scientific information is current and, it, and it's relevant. Um, now, there was um, 
a consensus statement which has been really powerful in recent years and is one that was originally published by the IOC in 2014 and then updated in 2018, uh, which outlined uh, Red S, which you mentioned earlier, Karen, and established it as a more comprehensive, broader term than the female athlete triad um, which is uh, a syndrome caused by relative energy deficiency, which affects metabolic rate, menstrual function, bone health, immunity, uh, protein synthesis, cardiovascular and psychological health. So, you know, really uh, all-encompassing um, syndrome. Um, now, we, we've discussed REDS many times, but we particularly look at it in detail in episode 54, uh, which is uh, entitled "Eating Enough for Running uh, to Run," rather. Um, so, if you if you're interested in this topic, I'd really suggest you um, you go back and listen to that. And we do refer to that paper there. Um, so, Karen, you you mentioned um, you know a couple of names, and I, I know that you're a really keen follower of uh, Louise Burke and also Asker Yerkendrop, if I've said that correctly. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and he, you know, he writes a lot and he, he writes some really accessible information. So he's a great person to follow. Um, but I just wondered if there's any of, of their particular study papers that uh, you would say that we refer to in our discussions, but mainly because you feel that they, they've got a robust um, study method and, um, you know, we, we use, you know, their information um in many different ways. Yeah, actually, Aileen, Louise Burke was involved in that IOC consensus statement that you've just mentioned. So, um, so that in itself quite interesting regarding Red S. She was really involved in that. But another key area where she was involved in the research was um, the effects of a high-fat diet on sports performance. And, um, you know, as the ketogenic diet is still quite topical, actually, the various pieces of research and review papers that were produced um, made really interesting reading. And, and for me, also shed light on, on quite a controversial topic, really, because there are many people who swear by this approach to eating for health reasons. And, you know, there are lots of reasons why it can be helpful for health but you know we won't enter into a, a discussion around that here um, because we have again dedicated um, a, a whole episode to the ketogenic diet so that's episode 48 if you are interested in this topic and would like more information on it um, but again she was really um, she was a, a key researcher into that area. Um, now, I have to say that Louise Burke's a professor, so and she is viewed as a font of knowledge, even within the sports nutrition science world. You know, there are many other researchers and scientists who really respect and appreciate her wealth of knowledge on the subject of sport and exercise nutrition. Although I have to say they are always open to having a debate, sometimes heated, I'm sure, um, with um, Louise Burke around her ideas, as us scientists do. And I've heard it myself when I've been to conferences where lots of scientists get together and you, you can you can see it in front of you on the stage, this debate that's going on, although they're teaching us at the same time, they're debating on the stage as well. 
And I have to say that both Louise Burke and um, Oscar Jokendrup have published textbooks as well. Um, and, and, and they have those on top of all the many research sub. Uh, research papers that they have on the subject of um, nutrition for sport and exercise. And I have to say that their textbooks are a real go-to for me, um, as well as the papers, because the information is written in a way that's understandable, while still remaining scientific and evidence-based. And and also their textbooks, I find, are, are really practical. So they really they sort of suggest how the scientific evidence could be applied in clinic with clients and that's really important for me as a and and us as as practitioners and I think that they're able to do this in a way that's that's really beneficial to the practitioner and I think this is because they are both athletes themselves so they're kind of putting their own science into action themselves but but I have to stress you know these are my thoughts I don't know if this is how Louise Burke and Asker Jokendrup would view that their textbook and if they're using their their own sort of practical application in the way that they're putting it forward in the books I've got no idea but that's how it comes across to me yeah well I've, I guess you know they're producing that kind of material to help people aren't they you know the that's a driving force I think for anybody they're wanting to uh, engender change but they, they want their, cha- their research to be put into practice so um, yeah I'm sure they'd be delighted to know that um, you know people are using that kind of material in, in the right way so so Karen um, I think it's time to round up um, you know it's, it's not been a very long episode um, but I think it's a really relevant discussion and I'm, I'm hoping that it's going to give um, our listeners some context to uh, what we're sharing and that they'll feel confident that um, they know that we're sourcing information that's evidence-based and uh, that's, you know, the the root of our advice, really. So um, next week we'll be returning to our usual conversations about nutrition to help your performance. Uh, but before we do that, Karen, um, I wondered if you could round up the key takeaways from this episode. Yes, absolutely, Aileen. So my key takeaways are that there are many different types of research papers available, but the principal ones that we refer to include the likes of the primary and secondary research, the position stands and joint position statements, consensus statements, and also the various types of review papers. Remember, all research methods fall into one of two categories, so they're either going to be primary research or secondary research, where primary research is information gathered through the self-conducted research methods, and secondary research is the information to gather from previously conducted studies. And then the position stands and joint statements that we tend to source come from some really highly regarded and well-respected organisations, including the ACSM, the IOC, the ISSN and others that we've mentioned today. Um, There are many excellent scientists currently researching the field of sport and exercise nutrition. Some of the ones that we respect and follow include the likes of Louise Burke, Oscar Jokendrup, also Michael Gleason, Ron Mon, and many others. And then finally, 
there is currently a lack of sports science and sports medicine research that is conducted specifically on female athletes, as we were speaking about. But the science world is trying to address this discrepancy. So let's all watch the space. And that would be it, Aileen. Thanks, Karen. That's been really helpful for everybody. And I'm, I'm sure our listeners will have found this episode interesting. Um, so if you have, let us know. Uh, we're always keen to receive feedback from you all. Um, and remember, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months, and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases.